Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome to Startup Hustle. It's just Matt DeCorsi today. Matt Watson's on vacation, so I thought I'd take a little time and do something that I've been wanting to do for a little while and also come to a conclusion on the whole story of not only my trip to Cebu City, Philippines, but also answer a few common questions that I've had over the years and really kind of tell the story of how I ended up there. So for those of you that have been following the podcast, first off, thanks. Really appreciate it. Uh, you also realize that recently I traveled over to Cebu or Cebu City, which is in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, I've had an office there and operated there for almost nine years, but I've never been there. And uh, a lot of people have found that fascinating that we've been able to operate on the level that we have and build some of the things that we've built over time there and that I didn't go there. And people ask me a lot why. So why I never really needed to go there. Anyway, I want to use this opportunity to go ahead and finalize the little mini series that we created, both about getting ready for the experience that we had in Cebu, but also more along the lines of, you know, how did we end up there? And I say we, meaning the companies that I've built and operated over the years. And I'm going to go ahead and take a few minutes and, and tell that story. So, In 2017, I published a book called Million Dollar Bedroom, and the second chapter in it is titled, It's Always Sunny in Cebu City. First off, it's pretty true. It's quite warm there and very humid. But in, in the book, I took a time to explain how I ended up building an office in the Philippines and what made me want to do that. So if we go ahead and rewind all the way back to 2009, and much like I mentioned in the book, I was an adult that had gone back to school and I'd been accepted to a decent, uh, you know, business school here, just trying to get an undergrad degree. And in 2009, we like to think that the internet and web development and all this other stuff was in a pretty advanced state. And honestly, it really wasn't. People are still figuring a lot of things out. Um, things like Skype were brand new. And, you know, there was a lot of things that just really didn't have the deep roots that they had now. So here I am, and I'm an adult, and I'm sitting in these business school classes. And over and over again, you hear globalization, offshoring, outsourcing, and all this stuff. But they never really told us how. They told us why, but they never really told us where either. So I wasn't really sure where to start or why. So why was I even looking for developers overseas? Well, at the time I'd started a business and with that business, I'd started building some different types of websites and doing some things to do a little bit of marketing automation. And I was, I'd owned and was operating some affiliate type websites that sold event tickets. And at the time, we didn't have a decent or good way to create pages in bulk. And the reason we needed to create pages in bulk is in the world of events and ticketing, 
oh, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 events are announced or had just passed on any given day. So we had this huge number of unique pages that we wanted to make or possibly, uh, you know, deactivate. And that number and that size of uh, pages was far too great to do it manually. So I had a time, or, you know, I had, I had an idea to try to build something that would create these pages in bulk and do it automatically and do so off of database information. Now, here in 2018, you know, what I'm describing really isn't that high a technology. But in 2009, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that did it, and especially that did it for the kind of industry that I was in. So living in Indianapolis at the time, I first saw the local developer and had employed this guy for several months. And we had made some progress on building what we were calling the automatic page creator or APC, except for we got to the point where it was really time to try to make it work. And we stalled out. And this developer that I had hired well, he was having a real tough time, and we went through about two months where we hadn't made any progress and we hadn't done anything to move any of this forward. Now, that being said, he was still sending me invoices and it was still costing me quite a bit of money. So finally, after a couple months, I, you know, being tired of our lack of progress, I said, what do we need? What do we need to do to get this done? And he said, we need someone that's really great at PHP. Now, that might have been the very first time I even heard the acronym PHP. So I went out and I started trying to find someone that was good at it. Now, in 2009, trying to do that in the United States wasn't the easiest thing to do. Uh, most of the programmers that you could find locally or anywhere around just really didn't have any experience doing that. So I said, huh, I'm going to have to figure out where these people are. So knowing that things that we do for our whole entire life, we're usually pretty good at. I started doing a little research and stopped and talked to some people on campus and some other places and was trying to figure out where the likelihood of people that had been using PHP and that type of programming for their whole life would be. And I came up with a bunch of countries that were, you know, basically Asia, uh, Philippines, it, yeah, India, and some other places. So I said, wow, okay, so I've only narrowed this down to half the world now. So that being said, I, I realized I had to start zeroing in on a few things. And everything that I was reading and looking at kind of kept pointing me to the Philippines. Now, I don't know. I, at the time, I didn't know anything about the Philippines. The only thing I knew was that my parents had employed a guy that had owned a cleaning service here in Kansas City. His name was Dell. And he was from the Philippines. He was from Manila. So I called him up. And, you know, I'd always had a favorable impression of Dell. He was hardworking. Uh, his son and sometimes other people that he were related to had been working for this cleaning service. And actually, I employ his cleaning service still to this day. So does my sister and so does my, my father. But the thing that I noticed about Dell is I felt he was very honest. He was always very upbeat. He always had a very... Uh, he had a big smile on his face and he, I had a favorable impression of the guy. So anyway, so I started to ask him a little bit about his country and man, you want to talk about someone that was gleaming and saying great things about where they were from. Well, that's exactly what was going on with Dell. So I figured, why not? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> so how do I go about finding these people? 
man, I wasn't really sure at first. So I start looking around and, you know, here in 2009, still with a little bit of an old school mentality, placed an ad in a newspaper. And I did it in Cebu City. Why Cebu? Well, the more I read about the Philippines, the more I kept coming back to that particular city being more or less where a lot of the technology and innovation and a lot of other uh, companies were setting up operations. So here we are, got an ad in the paper. Next thing you know, a whole bunch of applications coming in. So here I, you know, I got some stuff I got to figure out. And, you know, I don't know, how am I even going to talk to these guys? Well, Skype. Now, at the time, Skype was really new. It's something we've, a lot of us have gotten used to. But, you know, here I am, and I, all of a sudden, I can talk to people on the other side of the world. I can do it for free. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I started interviewing some of the people that uh, were interested in this position. And one, one of the very first people I talked to, was a guy named Rico, um, was asking me via email. He said, well, what's the problem you're trying to fix? So I explained what we had been trying to do with the page creator. And I got some, a little snippet of code from the local developer who had been working on it. And I emailed it off to this guy, Rico, never met him before in my life. Didn't know him from anybody else, anywhere else. Probably an hour later, he sent me back a couple lines of code, basically looked like gibberish. He said, Hey, try this out. (laughs) So I forwarded it on to my local guy and about 30 minutes later, got an email back from him in all caps. It said, it worked, OMG. So this guy literally fixed my problem during his job interview. I was completely overwhelmed uh, with joy because uh, we were going to make some progress and get this going. So anyway, as I continued to talk to him, I ended up, uh, I ended up hiring him. So more or less, we got to work. Now, I immediately realized that I had some challenges and some things that I needed to overcome. Uh, The first of which was a a pretty hefty time difference. Now they don't do uh, daylight savings time there, but you're looking at a 13 to 14 hour time difference. And actually at the time I lived in uh, Eastern standard time. So it was even more so than it is now as I'm in central. So coupled with that were a, a few communication challenges. Now, Rico spoke English, and most people in the Philippines do, but we still had the task of communicating back and forth to each other in a written way or sometimes through other ways, meaning like screenshots or, you know, just documents trying to accomplish what we're doing. But we didn't always, you know, there were some things that were lost in translation. So, (laughs) you know, I had that to work around. And you know, then there were a few slight cultural things that I had to figure out. Overall, the Philippines is very user-friendly when it comes to Americans. But, you know, there was a few different things that um, I had to overcome. I'll give you an example. Uh, Halloween in the United States or All Hallows' Eve or whatever we call it uh, is a holiday where kids dress up and go get candy from everyone in the neighborhood. In the Philippines, is completely different. They literally make pilgrimages and go to visit all the cemetery sites or, you know, anything associated with their relatives and loved ones that have passed away. Um, 
and you know just little things like that and and good luck finding anybody that wants to work not only on the 31st but the 30th now some of the advantages that presented themselves with the challenges were well first off then the most obvious was there was a huge difference in pay scale why does that exist why do some of these countries and when why are some of these people ready able and willing to work for a lower wage well the answer is that their economy is different it's not that you're taking advantage of them and in many ways it's a huge upside for them um for example, in the Philippines, you can get about six times more for an American dollar than you can get here in the United States. So someone that makes, say, $1,500 a month is really making closer in our economic standards to $9,000 a month. It's a pretty good job. So, I mean, almost everything is way, way cheaper. The price of a home um, you know, and if you want more details about some of that, I, I tell some stories about, you know, helping uh, some of my employees purchase homes in the Philippines, because you can do so for about $20,000. Yes, that's right. You can buy a home in the Philippines for 20,000 bucks. So anyway, back to some of these advantages. Well, sometimes the time zone, which was also a challenge could actually be a huge advantage. Uh, if you had something that you wanted worked on, you could get you can get these folks and these you know on the other side of the world to work on it overnight. You do your thing in the evening, you go to sleep, you wake up. Hey, there's some progress. And I think probably the most exciting advantage was that I found a very willable and cap- uh, very willing and capable employee with the first guy that I hired. So. You know, we, we kind of kept at it and we ended up finding a great solution for this uh, page creation uh, program that we wanted to build. And, you know, over time, it did really well. It took us a little bit to get it right and whatever. If you want to hear more about that part, you know, read my book. It's got a lot of information about it. So anyway, over the last nine years, we ended up employing several different people all in the city of Cebu and at one point made a decision to be very and you know have the intention of continuing to hire people in that market for a couple of reasons one we were able to they they could meet they could um easily communicate with each other they were clearly all on the uh same time zone and i also you know, felt that if we ever opened a traditional office there, well, there they were. So what kind of employees did we get? Overwhelmingly, I've had an amazing experience with 95% of the people that we've hired. Sure, we've had a couple of people that didn't work out. Um, honestly, uh, the ratio of success in hiring there has been remarkably higher than you know, what I've experienced, not only with my own businesses here, but also back in the day when I used to work for other people. So these folks have done a lot of different jobs for me. Um, we've hired a different blend of folks. We've had, uh, you know, people that worked doing basically virtual assistant type stuff and, you know, programmers. And these are the folks that ended up building Gigabook for me. And, 
you know, some of them help manage other businesses that I've owned and some of them help with marketing tasks and, and a whole lot of other things. But overall, had a really great experience with everyone who was there. So here we are at the present day. And back to the fact that I just went over to Cebu, you know, why, why, did, why did I finally go there and decide to expand what we were doing? Well, you know, I needed to grow the business and what we're doing with Gigabook. However, with that, I felt that I had a great opportunity to create a pipeline for future innovation, not only for myself, but for other people that I might want to partner with or possibly, you know, other startup founders or people that might need easy access to something that could help them do something like get a minimally viable product out on the market. So here I went, flew to Cebu, finally, after nine years, um, showed up, was, you know, had great reception. And, you know, in the last episode of Startup Hustle, I told Matt Watson all about my trip. So those of you that have been following, you've already heard of it. Like I said, I noticed a lot of differences when I got there. Um, And, you know, overall, had a great experience when I was there. Hired quite a few new people. Going to hire more this month. Going to hire more the next month. So, you know, that story's been told both in my book and here on this podcast. Now, there's a few things that I think it's important to address that I have found over the years that I'm overwhelmingly explaining or educating or talking to people about. And I think the very first one is a lot of people seem to profess that they've had bad or poor experiences with offshore developers or workers. I think the first question I'd have to ask is, have you had the same kind of experiences with local employees? Because you can certainly have them both places. Um, Some of the ways and manner and method that you go about screening people, whether it's local or for an offshore employee, um, can have a lot to do with the success of the employee that you chose to hire. So, Unless you have a perfect hiring record here, you probably shouldn't expect to have one with an offshore employee. Now, if you're not managing people locally or overseas or giving them a fair uh, shake at success through well-defined goals and things that you want to build, well, then you shouldn't be surprised when you don't succeed regardless of the location of your employees. All right, the next thing. I, and this one really kind of drives me crazy on, on a lot of days, but I run into, I, I think overwhelmingly people that I talk to feel that because someone is willing to do a job for a lower wage than the standard where they're at locally, that that person is either not going to do as great of a job, might not be as intelligent, or doesn't have the ability to learn at the same level that we do locally. All false. Um, First off, in many ways, a lot of the employees that you could and might hire from an overseas market are more likely to want to keep the job. I'll give you an example. In Cebu, there's a very high unemployment rate. And while talented people can always find jobs there, at the same time, it's not always just super easy. So, you know, a lot of these folks are really protective and want to keep the job 
and you'll run into a lot of loyalty and other stuff. Now you got to treat people well, you should be doing that regardless. <laughs> Just because someone is working in anywhere that you own or manage a business in, you should be treating them well and giving them opportunity and hearing what they have to say and, and, and so on. So, you know, you'll find a very reciprocal relationship with a lot of these folks. If you treat them well, they will treat you well. It's not that tough. Now, in regards to the level of experience or the quality of the output, well, in some cases you get what you pay for. If you're trying to hire the cheapest people you can find, well, you're probably not going to get the greatest output, whether it's here or in any other market. So, you know, I try to find the best people I can. I, I don't have a hard time finding people with over a decade of experience in web development, and they're usually very creative um, and capable. In, in many ways, when it comes to certain types of programming, they're better than some folks I can find on a local level. Going back to that whole point of some of these folks, like our developers for Gigabook that are in Cebu, they learned PHP from the day they started programming. So, you know, we've got guys with over 20 years of experience writing code in that language. And th at that point, you better know what you're doing. So, there's no reason to believe that the output would be different. Now, I think the uh, the final one that, you know, I've had employees or people, you know, say, well, will they be able to learn that? Why wouldn't they be able to learn it? Uh, these are people that usually have college degrees and professional experience. And, you know, we hired, we've hired people from big box companies that have worked for places that you would recognize and be impressed by. Of course, they can learn. Um, it, it's just really, like I said, it's kind of some interesting opinions that I run into um, that I just kind of continue to shake my head at. So, you know, those are three things that, you know, I'm going to, suggest that you take out of consideration if you work with folks um, from other markets. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with a few things. Um, it is a globalized world. And there are a lot of upside to having people that are developers in your local market and having them in other places too. Um, I run a 24-hour development cycle. We have people that that work here, meaning the United States. And we have people overseas that actually work on the same time in the United States. Then we have people that work during the daytime hours there. So if done well, you can really double or, you know, increase the output and the deliverables on any project just because people are working on it in a way that makes sense. Now, if you're trying to build a team or you're interested in that, well, first off, let me know if you want to want some help with that. Uh, but if you're doing it on your own, you just make sure you have someone that can speak the language. And I don't mean the foreign language. I'm talking about your development language, whether you're building things in .NET or PHP or however you're doing it. If you're not a technical founder, like I'm not, then it's really good to have someone that operates well on a technical level locally so they can have higher level conversations and you're able to have. So, you know, it, it is what it is. You get, 
you need to have someone on your team that can communicate with people that are here, there, or anywhere else. So anyway, like I said, with uh, Mr. Watson on vacation and wanting to move on to some other topics, I thought that you know, I actually tried to record this podcast when I was in Cebu and I had some bandwidth issues and the recording didn't came, come out that well. So I figured I'd go ahead and get back at it when I got here, uh, back to Kansas City, back to the States. I am glad to be back here, and it only took about a week for my body to adjust to its uh, usual time zone here. So hopefully you found some of this interesting. Hopefully there was some good information. Like I said, if you want the full story, check it out, Million Dollar Bedroom. It's available on Amazon and some other places. Um, anyway, see you soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.